This is Let's Talk to Lucy, starring Lucille Ball. A very warm welcome to you all. I'm Gary Morton, and now, let's talk to Lucy. Hi, this is Lucy. And my guest today is one of the most versatile young actors in the business, Mr. Richard Krenner. For years, he played the crack-voiced high school boy, Walter, on Our Miss Brooks. Then he appeared as the gangling hillbilly, Luke McCoy, on The Real McCoys. And currently, he is appearing as a hard-working state legislator in the fine new TV series, Slattery's People. Hi, Dick. Hi, Lucy. I am very, very happy to be talking to you today. I, I want to know several things. First of all, I want to know about your love for Slattery's people, because I know it comes from a deep-rooted something or other within you, the fact that you're even doing this show. And right away, I want to tell you that I hope it stays on forever. We think it's absolutely great. And well, I know many, many uh, people around the country that do. Now, if we can just keep those ratings up there, that'll help a lot. That's important, yeah, it is. But it is your innate love of people that even made you want to do this show, isn't it? That's right, it is. It was an opportunity to do something after many, many years in the business, uh, something important, something that, that made a statement, and I think we're trying to do that each week. And, it uh, does that. We're getting better. Well, it, it started off real good. It's <laughs> well, just that uh, we want the permission from the public and the networks to allow it to spread and, and grow. The uh, transition that you have made through the years, I have been very cognizant of. I've known you for quite some time, and I've liked you very, very much. I approve of you, Dick. I had no idea that you had a family until just recently. You always seemed like a, the young boy next door to, I guess, the world. <laughs> and I'm... Uh, I yes, want everybody to know about your family and your kind of the way you live. And can we start first with your family? Sure, I'd love to talk about them because I'm very proud of them. I'm married to a very attractive and wonderful girl. Named Penny. Named Penny, right, who uh, worked in the fringes of the business out here for many years, was a secretary, and I met her when she was a secretary. And we got married, and we now have uh, two wonderful children, Shauna and Richard. What ages? Shauna's 12 and Richard's uh, 5. The 12-year-old beginning to... Uh... She's beginning to be a teen. She's beginning to, to be a bit of a problem to me. She's now falling into that category where I worked for so many years. So I understand <laughs> her. I know what, she, what she's right. all about, you That's see. That's right. You had a background Yeah, in that, she doesn't didn't realize you? that I was a teenager until I was 30 years old. <laughs> so I'm one up on her. Ah, that's wonderful. <laughs> but it's tough to keep ahead of them, as you know. Yes, it certainly it is. Really I have is. a 13-year-old, and it's very interesting. Certainly all phases of their growing up is interesting, but you want so much to do the right thing, and you want so much to have them approve of what you want them to do. Right. And you want them to know right from wrong. And, you know, it, it's hard for me to understand why... I suppose we did it, too, but why they disapprove of us in some measures, why we're squares. Well, I've made a big step in, in the direction of correcting that problem with Shauna in that I have now learned to almost tolerate the Beatles. And that's been, <laughs> we've, we've been able to close a big gap there. There was a problem there for a few months when I didn't understand what the Beatles were all about, but uh, we've been able to bridge that nicely. Are you a good father? I hope so. I hope so. Penny makes me a good father. I think that uh, basically I'm probably not a good father, but I think she leads me into the right paths. 
And our home life, I must say, is very much centered around our kids and uh, the way we live, uh, the house that we bought, uh, where we live. We live in Encino in the valley in an area called Royal Oaks, which is very much a, a country kind of atmosphere. And uh, we have about an acre of ground now. And uh, it's devoted to uh, badminton court and swimming pools and all the things that I didn't have as a kid. I guess uh, we're lavishing that on them. I was raised in hotels. And until I was 24 years old, I lived in hotels. My mother ran and managed hotels with my father. My father was a pharmacist, but my mother kind of took over that end of the business. Uh, so. Uh, uh, I have a great appreciation for uh, trees and grass, and I kind of uh, am, am uh, so uh, thankful that I can give this to my kids now. I and, guess that's uh, a lot that I admire in you without knowing why, you see. Well, thank you. I started to brag on Penny a bit, and I think I should continue. I uh, think you should, too. You we, said some marvelous <laughs> things. I hope she's listening. I hope she is, too. I'll make her listen. <laughs> she better be there. How does she lead you? In well, we have, we have certain uh, times of the day that are devoted to certain things. And for instance, working or not, I generally get up and have breakfast with the kids. And we start the day off that way because, as you know, in this business, I get home quite late at night. And sometimes I'm sitting down at the dinner table at 9.30 and 10 o'clock. And as a result, days on end, I, I don't see my kids with their eyes open. You know, yes. I get home, I either leave before they're up or I get home after they're asleep. So They're beautiful we, we, when they're sleeping, aren't they? Oh, they're marvelous. <laughs> I'm, they're marvelous. But they're better when they're awake. <laughs> but when I do get home early, we have a period where we spend the time with the kids, and she kind of pushes me into a room with them so that I have to. I'm forced to sit down and listen to their problems as tired as I might be, you know. Yeah. And, Do they uh, tell you their problems? That, yes, that's a it, well, problem it, no, in itself. It, it, that is a problem, and how to bring it out, how to really get to the bottom of something. Uh, I can, tell I can, me. I can read their faces. I can look at Richard or at Shauna, and uh, I know something's wrong, and it takes me about a half hour to get it out of them. Yeah, but, but more uh, importantly, how can you tell when something's right yeah, that you want, yeah, to, that, that, want you to share with them? Right. Right. I mean, that they want you to share with them. And the little jokes. And, the well, if you could have been there, you know, yes. if you could have seen it. Yes. Because uh, some of the things that happen at school are, uh, frankly, they're a bore. You don't want to sit there and listen to them. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've learned to understand them. <laughs> no, they're really wonderful kids. I'm very proud of both of them. What do you do about discipline, Dick? Well, uh, I use my deep voice. <laughs> yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> I change my whole attitude. I, uh, well, I, I, get a, I get my big frown and this deep voice. Uh, you know, I'm pleased uh, with the fact that I've never, I've never had to paddle either one of them. I reduce my little boy to tears with a, with a, with a change of attitude, really. He's much easier to get to than Shauna was. Well, he's on only five. Yeah, but she, she was a little more difficult to... Uh, uh, well, uh, Penny, Penny really gets to her a little more than I do. Yes, because uh, she can't fool Penny. That's right, yeah. yeah. They are both women after all, aren't that's they? That's right. Oh, I keep forgetting that. Yeah, you mustn't. You don't forget about men and women and people all over the world in Slattery's for a moment. I'm interested in Slattery's people, the philosophy and the attitude of the, the writers from the very beginning that made you interested in it. Excuse me, Lucy. I hate to interrupt, but we just got a message that they are waiting for Dick on the set. Oh, gee, Dick, this has been so much fun. Could we continue tomorrow? Could you find time to drop in? Oh, I'd love to. Okay. It's not a very long walk, you know, Lucy, just around the corner. <laughs> That's right. We're both at Desi Lou. Okay, for now. Bye. Bye. I have been talking to Mr. Richard Crenna, who this season is starring in the program called Slattery's People. And those of us in Hollywood are very happy to have this fine new show on the TV screens. 
And ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for your many wonderful letters. You know, I love to get letters, so please keep them coming. Just send them to Let's Talk to Lucy, Desi Lou Studios, Hollywood, California. And please be with us again tomorrow. Remember, I'll be talking to Mr. Richard Krenna. Bye now. Hi, this is Lucy. Again today, my guest is Mr. Richard Krenna, who has a starring role in Slattery's People. You know, before you had to dash back to the set yesterday, I was saying that I felt it was the philosophy and the attitude of the writers from the very beginning that made you interested in Slattery's People. Well, I think it's important in this day and age. We're in a time now when people have a tendency to become uh, very narrow-minded. We're in an, in an era now of having gone through a political campaign that was uh, rather vigorous, uh, to, say the to least. say the least. I find that a kind of narrowness has developed in which uh, we have allowed the press to uh, become a judge and jury. In fact, we said this on the show. We, we're greatly influenced by many external things, and I think very few of us have really taken the time, and I include myself in this group, to sit down and truly evaluate our position in the world today as individuals uh, and as a nation and our responsibility to our government. And Slattery's was an opportunity to open the eyes of a great many uh, people in the United States to the function uh, and workings of their own government. I think few people realize, for instance, the, the great importance of a state legislature as opposed to a national legislature. A national legislature, of course, is tremendously important to our well-being, but I, I think people have a tendency to brush, to forget about their, their, uh, their state assemblyman and yet they are more directly affected by their state legislature than they are by the national government. We are, after of all, course. Uh, you know, a state's right government. We don't um, take advantage of it. We don't take advantage, that's right. I so often am appalled at the uh, lack of interest in apathy. local representation. Apathy. Complete apathy. Uh, you would ask somebody, uh, well, who's the congressman from your district? Well, I'm, I don't know. I never, no. And, uh, I joined that group. I'm guilty. Yeah, I, I have been, Lucy, I've been very guilty of that. I think we all have. And I think subliminally, Slattery's is doing a, an outstanding job in a dramatic way to present the workings of government as it exists. Government is compromise, after all, and that's the point I'm trying to make, is that uh, people... Uh, both pe sides. People, both sides. This is, this is both sides. We, we preach against bigotry on both sides of the fence. And I think sometimes the people who preach against the bigots are as bigoted against bigotry as uh, those that they attack. I think that we have been able to show in our, uh, our series that there are two sides to a question, that we must, even if we violently disagree, we must appreciate an opposition point of view and that we have to give people under this form of government the opportunity to stand up and be heard. Dick, I'm very interested in what you're saying, and I'm sure a lot of other people are, about becoming cognizant of what we can do to keep up our knowledge and interest in the state uh, legislature, mm. how, that we, how we can right away begin doing effective things in choosing the right people that concern our daily lives, right, right. starting yeah. with the, the least common denominator. Yeah. How uh, do you suggest well, uh, I would in, the say in, in, in the smallest community, understand, for instance, if there is a city council, know the city councilman, know who they are, know who represents your district, what position he has taken on things that affect you and interest you, know who your state representative is, certainly, and your national representative, and make your feelings known to him. And I think it's a matter of reading the paper. Now, we never get the full true story in a newspaper. It's impossible. We will get one position in one newspaper, another position in another newspaper. 
Uh, we never get purely bipartisan news, I don't feel now, but uh, you read both sides of the story. Read both newspapers if you have two newspapers in your town. If you have opposition points of view, read both points of view. And then make your feelings known to your local representatives, whoever they might be. That's it. Get and, together. Uh, communicate. Right. And take some time to go and listen to somebody when he makes a speech someplace. Go and hear him. Hear what he has and to say. And encourage him to talk. Encourage him to talk. Ask him questions. They don't do that in very many we, we, places anymore, no, do we they? Just, just a don't. small handful of people are are interested, right. and then later on they get accused of being too interested. Right, right. We distrust people that are overly active in politics. I think we, all of us, distrust them. We say, Civic-minded. Well, yeah, now why is, uh, why is he pushing for this? Why has this man come to my door to tell me to, uh, to vote for X or Y or Z? Why is he, uh, you know, we're distrustful of that kind of activity. And we have to get away from that idea. We have to get away from the idea that anybody who backs a political ideology of one kind or another is a subversive of some kind, you know, regardless of whether he might be ultra-conservative or ultra-liberal. We should just, listen, just listen to more people. Listen and, and become more personally involved. Try to find for ourselves the answers, you know. And having topics of conversation uh, that we are interested enough in to introduce even in our own homes at our own dinner tables and then joining groups who are discussing it, I guess it's kind of hard to find in most communities. It is difficult to we find. We really have to sort of stir it up and consciously and conscientiously go about it and sort of start it all up again. It's a, it's a lost art. And it's amazing how much you don't know until you start a conversation with somebody who does know something. And that shouldn't deter us. That should Not uh, only uh, uh, spark our interest. We should then have a desire to question it and, uh, and find out more for ourselves. Well, I certainly agree with what you've said. I just think that's wonderful. And um, it, uh, what a marvelous thing if communities all over America right about now, and I guess the, uh, this election is going to open a lot of eyes. Mm. It certainly opened a lot of ears. It certainly did. It opened it's a lot of minds right. now. We'll be all right, huh? Yes, I think so. I want to talk a little bit about your motion picture credits. I understand you have a picture coming out called John Goldfarb, Please come home. Yes, I have. It's going to open about Christmas time? Christmas Day, yeah. Oh, yeah. but uh, can I hear what it's about? Well, if I tried to explain what it was about, I think probably you'd call a, a policeman and have me removed. But very basically, I'll explain it. John Goldfarb is an American Jewish U-2 pilot uh, whose plane crash lands in a mythical Arabian kingdom and take it from there. <laughs> I play the title role of John Goldfarb. The King of Fawzia is played by Peter Ustinoff, and the marvelous star of the picture, Shirley MacLaine, plays a Strife magazine photographer who is living in a harem in Fawzia to get a picture story for Strife. Oh, what a marvelous that's the, that's idea. That's the idea. Now, uh, to go one step further, King Fawz's son attended the University of uh, Notre Dame and could not make the football team. So Fawz wants a football coach to coach a team to play Notre Dame. Now, the State Department, in turn, wants to build an airfield in Fawzia. And uh, Fawz will not agree to this unless they send him a football coach. When Goldfarb crashes, he was an All-American at the Academy. Uh, they threatened to send the plane and, and Goldfarb to Russia unless he, unless he agrees to coach the team. He is, in, in turn, hiding from the, uh, from the State Department to CIA. And 
what happens is something else. <laughs> I must say it's the wildest picture you can imagine. I can hardly wait to see it. It's, it sounds great. It is just wild. John and, and, Goldfarb, please come home. Right. It's very strange the way I got that too, Lucy, because you know how many years I've been in this business as a supporting actor and always very happily employed. But it's tough uh, to make the but transition. But it's tough to make that jump to leading man. Yes. How do you become a leading man? Uh, it was one of the things that determined my choice of Slattery's People as my next... Uh, a television venture. Uh, I felt it was a kind of, uh, of program that could give me uh, the uh, uh, overworked uh, uh, word, certainly, the image of, of the leading man. It did that because uh, Fox uh, and Shirley and, uh, and J. Lee Thompson, who selected me for the picture, viewed the pilot of uh, Slattery's People, and it was on the basis of the pilot of Slattery's People that I was signed, uh, a guy who two or three months before had not been able to get a supporting part in, in, a, in a picture, a part I really didn't want to do, uh, suddenly ends up in a major motion picture with uh, uh, billing over the title with Shirley MacLaine, you know, which is kind of a, a marvelous story for a man who's been kicking around now for 26 or 27 years. It certainly is. Kind of fun. And to look at that face, nobody would believe you'd been kicking around three years. Are you ever <laughs> going to age? Well, I'm trying. Heaven knows I'm trying. How are you doing it? I'm How working. I'm working every day from about six until midnight on Slattery's people, and it's doing it slowly, slowly. I'm a little longer each day in makeup. Oh, Dick, we've run out of time for today, and I still have some things to ask you. Will you come back again tomorrow? Sure, will. Thank you. I have been talking to Mr. Richard Crenna of Slattery's People. I hope you've enjoyed our little chat. See you tomorrow. Bye now. Hi, this is Lucy. Again today, my guest is Mr. Richard Crenna who has uh, the leading role in Slattery's People. Dick, thanks for coming back again today. It's a pleasure. I wanted to talk to you about your interest in directing. Uh, you have many, many interests, but uh, I understand you directed some of the real McCoys. That's right, yes. And uh, have you directed anything else? Yes, well, I started, uh, Lucy, with the real McCoys, and it was, uh, it was strange the way that came about. Most people uh, who have gone in directing have prepared for many years to be directors. I kind of absorbed uh, what knowledge I uh, have as a director uh, through my years in front of the camera and working with people. What helped you the most, uh, do you remember? Well, I think with, uh, working with people like yourself. Do you remember when we worked uh, together for the first time? Can I, I talk about that? I certainly do. In radio back in uh, 1945. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, it, it's an interesting story. I always like to remember this because I did a, a show that you were doing at that time on CBS, My Favorite Husband. And I played a young teenage boy uh, that you were instructing to dance who fell madly in love with you. <laughs> And when you started The Lucy Show, it was one of the shows that you had liked, and uh, it was rewritten uh, uh, to be a Lucy episode. It was one of our best, too. And it was a lot of fun. It Thanks was just great. Thank you. And I'll never forget the day I arrived on the set playing this uh, teenage boy. Janet Waldo was my girlfriend in the piece. <laughs> she was, uh, at that time, newly married to Bob Lee, the writer. And Janet and I showed up to play the two teenage kids. She about uh, four months pregnant at the time, <laughs> and me about 27 years old. And there was a teacher and a governess on the set for the two kids. <laughs> and I've, I've never lived that down. That's <laughs> I've right. never lived I'd that forgotten down. It. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I think it was all the years of working with. Uh, I had the opportunity in radio of working with wonderful, wonderful people and watching them work. Uh, 
And uh, my preparation was more uh, in the nature of observing. I was an observer for many years of my career. I am very yes. curious by nature, so I observed. And um, uh, strangely enough, uh, getting back to the point, uh, on the McCoys, on the real McCoys, after three years of playing Luke McCoy, uh, the role became monotonous to me. Uh, not in that it was, uh, it was not fun anymore, it was that, but artistically there was very little stimulation uh, not much uh, left. Not much uh, It was a one-dimensional character. And at the end of the third season, we lost our, uh, our director of the first year, uh, first three years, Hi Everback, who moved on to uh, uh, be a producer and is still a very fine director. And I went to Walter Brennan and I said, Walter, I think I would like to direct. And he said, well, what makes you think you can? And I said, well, I, you know, what makes you think I can't? <laughs> I'm not sure I can. Would you be willing to give me the chance? And he said, Dick, if you want to work that hard, be my guest. How wonderful. So I went to the people who were sponsoring our show at that time, and they agreed, and they let me direct some commercials to, give me, uh, to get me over the first buck fever of calling action and print yes. <laughs> uh, with a crew. And I moved in to then uh, direct the McCoys and directed, uh, as you said, about uh, 25 or 30 episodes, finally. You know, I uh, have never really tried directing, but I had a workshop group here at one time, and I found uh, really that I wasn't a good director at all, only when it came to someone who was doing something that I had been doing for years, you know, my type of thing. Mm -hmm. When it came to someone else's characterization, I wasn't that, that capable at all. Mm -hmm. Did you find that? Well, uh, yes and no. I think that, that uh, you know, a, a director finds a scene or a character in a piece that appeals very strongly to him. That's one of the traps you can fall into as a director. I think that's, that's a thing that fools a lot of directors. Oh? They direct uh, vignettes, they direct moments rather than the piece, than the uh -huh. total film. And uh, you sometimes will find a director who will have uh, hilariously funny episodes in a given segment, uh -huh. but the segment for some reason falls flat, and, and it's kind of falling right in love up. with that with that one little thing. Uh -huh. that, uh, uh, it's tough. It's tough to avoid that. It's tough to avoid falling into that trap. I think one of the problems you face as a director in television, with the limitations of time, is that you select the important scenes, those scenes that you know are important to the total show and uh, gear yourself to uh, devote the greatest amount of time to mm -hmm. those scenes mm -hmm. in terms of camera coverage, etc., so that you can really have time to work on performances and not be bugged with uh, when you're directing, the pressures. When you're directing performers, uh, what is your rule within yourself to not intimidate the performer? How do you uh, manage this? Being well, a performer yourself. It's difficult. I, I find it difficult to articulate a, 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 about directing. Uh, but I think that uh, that uh, one of the things that uh, that I do, I appreciate good performances. So uh, I think that may be my greatest value as a director is my appreciation of a good performance, and the patience that uh, uh, that's required to to relax someone. We have so many tensions uh, imposed upon us in this business. You know the. Uh, the day player, for instance, is my is my uh, my my heart opens uh, most to the day player who has to come into a a well oriented and well uh, organized cast, and he has that moment to score. He may have an hour in which he has to b develop his whole career in front of your eyes, and he is under a tremendous amount of pressure because everybody's watching him. If he blows a line, he's in fear that maybe he won't be called back, or you'll think that he's an incompetent performer. 
whereas uh, those of us in a regular cast, if we blow a line or if we have a bad day or if we wake up with a headache and we're not as good in the morning, we have a chance in the afternoon to be better or we'll come back tomorrow and we've already done a good show or we have many, we have many uh, rationalizations for ourselves. Yeah. But uh, the patience required is sometimes monumental because uh, having been a, a, an actor for so many years, I, I know the butterflies that, that go uh, through an actor's stomach when he has to step up and, and know that uh, this is a good part. If I can do this part well, maybe I'll get another job. Maybe they'll, they'll call me back. It's like having know. an audition every, every day. Every time they face the camera, that's right. This is a very good explanation of uh, something. I get a lot of letters asking about how to get into the business and the pitfalls of the business and, you know, all ends of it, how to yeah, become a performer, yeah. how to become a director, how to get into any end of it. And I think that's a very good explanation. Dick, I'm never going to have long enough time with you. Maybe you could come back at another time and we'll have another talk and pick up on your wonderful career. I love you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye, dear. Bye. And now, Gary, could we have a word from you? Right, Lucy. Here's a safety tip to you drivers. The principal cause of highway accidents is tailgating, driving too closely behind the car in front. So follow this rule of thumb. Always allow at least one car length between you and the car ahead for every 10 miles per hour you're traveling. In other words, when you're going 50, keep at least five car lengths back. Some traffic experts say to make it even more. Play it safe. Don't tailgate and help avoid rear-end collisions. Thanks, Gare. Well, I think we have just about enough time to read one short letter. It's from James Marcus, and he writes, Dear Lucy, you may think it odd to receive a postcard from a father, but it happened to be my day off, and I was doing a little domestic duty in the kitchen, and my wife was listening to your program, and you were talking about your day of rest around the house and how many things you get done when you're not under pressure. Well, I just wanted to say that I am fortunate in having a weekday off, and with the kids in school, it leaves just myself and my wife at home, and it's kind of our day to rest, even though we work together on many little chores. However, it doesn't take long, and we do get time to sit down together and discuss our problems and plan family activities, and you'd be surprised how nice it really is to spend an uninterrupted day with the lady of the house. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jim. That was a very nice thought, and I hope other husbands are just as lucky as you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have an enjoyable weekend, and we'll see you on Monday, huh? Are you loving Let's Talk to Lucy? Then you have a real treat in store for you. A new episode is being released every week on the SXM app and wherever you listen to podcasts.